listeners, before we get to this episode of Problem Solvers, here is a word from our sponsor. If you're bogged down by high taxes, frustrated by expensive real estate, and unimpressed by a dry talent market, then maybe it's time to rethink that Coastal City headquarters. And it turns out there's a perfect place to grow your business while cutting costs and finding top talent. It's Ohio. Last year, Ohio was ranked the number one most affordable state and number three in housing affordability. Plus, Ohio's venture capital growth rate was three times faster than California's and five times faster than Washington's, two of the largest tech hubs in the world. In fact, Ohio's businesses have already raised $1.2 billion in venture capital in 2021 alone, and the year's not over yet. So whether you're looking to start a new business or grow an existing one, Jobs Ohio is ready to set you up for success. Visit Ohio isforleaders.com to learn more. And now, on with the show. From Entrepreneur Media, this is Problem Solvers, a show in which entrepreneurs do what entrepreneurs do best, solve unexpected problems in their business. We were completely wrong. And I'm just like, it's not selling. It was like, we have to start from scratch. I'm Jason Pfeiffer, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. We all know what it means to experiment, but if you had to define experimentation really succinctly, how would you do it? And this isn't meant to be an SAT question. This is because there are really practical reasons to defining what experimentation is. And here is one very good definition. It's about trying something. It's about seeing the results, measuring the results, and then taking the next step. Simple, right? Very useful, very succinct, but also, depending on how you look at it, pretty profound. And I will explain why in a second. But first, let me introduce you to our experiment definer. My name is Aman Bhutani. I'm the CEO of GoDaddy. I joined GoDaddy about two years ago. Super excited to be here. You know, when they tapped me for the role and asked me to join, there were a number of things that just fit in perfectly for me. And one of those perfect things is that Aman really understands experimentation. And when he looked at GoDaddy, what he saw was a company that had a great culture of experimentation, but didn't have universal systems for experimentation. And this is just as critical, if not even more critical. And this is the reason why I started with his definition, which I'm going to remind you of here, trying something, seeing the results, measuring the results, then taking the next step. That's great, but if you do it in isolation and everyone's doing some version of that and they're not coordinating the measuring and the taking of the next step, then a culture of experimentation only takes you so far. And so that's the reason I wanted to talk to Aman for this episode. I wanted to dig in with him on what the distinction is between a culture of experimentation and a system of experimentation and how he brought the latter to GoDaddy and what the results were. It's a really interesting and useful examination of what it takes to actually push the limits at your company and to empower everybody on your team to be thinking creatively, but then to actually put it to the best use. So on this episode of Problem Solvers, Aman is taking us into a system of experimentation at GoDaddy and how you can build one too. This episode is part of our ongoing series called The Future of Entrepreneurship because there is no future without experimentation, so we better think about how to do it right. Coming up after the break. 
Today, compliance is non-negotiable for every technology-powered business, and Leica makes the entire compliance process simple. Their platform combines automation with built-in expertise to help companies get certified, close deals, and approach compliance the right way. Leica goes beyond integrations. Their platform connects to everyday applications and applies actual human expertise to a robust software that powers your compliance. Leica easily connects to your applications and instantly creates tailored policies based on your business. Then compliance experts guide you through automated workflows designed to help you conquer certifications like SOC2, HIPAA, and GDPR. Leica is the only compliance platform that offers a true integrated audit solution. So no more messy spreadsheets and miscellaneous audit documents. Their team of experts manage your audit from beginning to end with full progress tracking through the app. Leica's more than just a one-time solution. Maintain 100% confidence in your compliance program with custom monitors and alerts. And now, Problem Solvers listeners get 20% off when you join. Visit heyleica.com slash problem solvers to get the exclusive deal. That's all lowercase, by the way. Again, that's H-E-Y, hey, Leica, L-A-I-K-A, heyleica.com slash problem solvers to request a demo and get 20% off when you sign up with Leica. All right, we're back talking with Aman Bhutani, the CEO of GoDaddy, about experimentation. And let's just dive into it. When I started talking to Aman, I said, okay, here's what I know. When you showed up at GoDaddy, you saw a great culture of experimentation, but that there was something missing, something that you needed to fix about the way that people were experimenting. And what was that? And let's pick it up from there. There are a couple of things about experimentation, Jason, that I think everyone needs to understand. And it's about mindset. And it's not something that people that are not aware of it can suddenly discover. You have to coach people through it. The first is that experimentation is truly about doing things that you don't already know how to do. It's about trying something. It's about seeing the results, measuring the results, and then taking the next step. And what that does is that it puts the customer in the driver's seat. Because now you're not doing what you wanted, what you have as a hypothesis, and the customer with their clicks or because they stopped to watch a video and did they watch one minute of it or one and a half minutes of it, it tells you how engaged they were with your content. It tells you if they are looking for a domain name, did they find the best one? And the best one could be what I think should be the best domain, or it could be a neural network machine learning model that proposes it. And we can measure whether one is better than the other. So the the first thing about experimentation is that it is about putting the customer in the driver's seat. The second thing is that it's not a what you do. You are not trying to do experimentation. That is not the what. What you're trying to do is have better experience for the customer, help them find that domain and make it easier for them to build a website. When they publish, hit that publish button for the website or when they take a picture of their product and put it on their commerce site, what you're trying to do is make that process easier. Experimentation is how you do it. Experimentation is the how. That how tells you whether what you did actually made the difference or not. The reason you need a systematic program across the company is because the customer experience goes across all your products. Product-centric thinking makes one product and then the other guy will make their product and they all have their ideas of what's right. But when you put the customer in the driver's seat, then it all has to work consistently. And that's why you need a formal framework because you don't want every team doing their own experimentation with their own principles and their own way of doing it. What you want is one central 
mindset, thinking, approach, which everyone adopts so that when marketing does an experiment and says, hey, we use this creative here and here, and it worked really well, or we tried this on this platform and it didn't work, then your website team that's got lots and lots of images on your site says, well, we're not going to have a totally different image. We're going to use the one that you tested worked because they have the same result because customers engaged with that. They told you that when you put that creative forward, it reached them. And you don't want to rediscover that everywhere else. So what's interesting is that you're laying out a distinction between a culture of experimentation and a company-wide system of experimentation. And that challenge is something that I wanted to ask you, which was how to identify whether or not an organization has enough of a culture of experimentation. And I wonder if now what I really should be thinking of is maybe taking as a given that experimentation has to be happening inside of a thriving organization. And so the question really is everybody doing it in a way that is measurable across bounds. So let's break that up, if you don't mind. First of all, when you walk into an organization, I imagine you must be evaluating whether or not there is a strong culture of experimentation. And so what did you see at GoDaddy? Did you see that culture existing, but the system lacking? How do you start to understand where experimentation is taking place and how to improve upon it? Yeah, first of all, both of the things you said are really important. Having a culture mindset of experimentation is critical. Without that, you're never going to have the systemic approach to it, right? So, but when I come in and look at a team and or a company and Frankly, I saw that in my previous job as well. Even if large parts of the company have a mindset, culture, and systematic experimentation to really drive it to every part of the company, you really have to elevate it as something that's very, very important. And the types of things, Jason, that will quickly tell you whether there's a culture of experimentation or not. And by the way, the other culture is, I think, what few people call the hippo culture. Have you heard that term, hippo? I'm guessing it's either it's either an acronym or there are large animals in the office. Yes, HIPPO stands for a culture where the highest paid person's opinion wins. I <laughs> <laughs> do not want that. Well, here's the thing. If you look over many decades, the HIPPO culture created lots of good stuff. People in high positions are right a lot, and people, they have experience, and all of that is fantastic. And they took pattern matching, and that they had done it before. They used that to you know, be right again. So following that advice worked in many cases. But when we think about companies today, you know the rate of innovation now, the rate of chain now is faster than ever before and it's accelerating. So you're opening up more and more areas where folks are going in and trying to make new things happen. Well, there are no hippos, right? Or the hippos, the highest, or at least the, the, the hips, the highest paid people, might be the people who have been at an organization the longest. And yeah. that sometimes means that they have the least fresh ideas or they feel most invested in the way things used to be. That's exactly right. And one of the key things about experimentation, and I'll come back and I'll give you a couple of very clear ways of finding out whether it's real experimentation culture or not. But one of the key things is that experimentation drives you to try your old ideas again because times change, customer experiences change, customer expectations change. And when that happens, just because it didn't work in the past doesn't mean you shouldn't try it again. And, and that's exactly a very, very important thing that, that you raised there. And oh, I love that. Sorry, I, I, I fear sending us on a tangent, but I just want to comment on this and hear one response and then I want you to get back to what you were actually saying. But what you just said there about 
reviving old ideas that failed makes me think of an observation that I've had about how entrepreneurs have thrived during the pandemic and a lesson that I think that they can carry forward afterwards, which is the line I've been using is reconsider the impossible. Ideas that they thought were terrible or that just were too difficult or too complex or whatever. Turns out when you're forced to engage with some of those ideas that you had discarded, sometimes they're very, very good ideas and in fact can be transformative ideas. And so what I love about what you're saying there is that my idea of reconsider the impossible is to take ideas that people have always discarded. You are adding an interesting layer, which is that they are ideas that may have been actually tried before and didn't work, but that doesn't mean that they can't work in the future in a different circumstance. That is exactly right. And we have so many cases from GoDaddy where tenured folks said, this will not work. We've tried it before. And new people came in like me and said, well, let's just try it again. What's the harm? And I love your phrase, by the way. <laughs> you know, that's an awesome phrase. It just, we tried it again and it worked. And what that did, it led to learning. Because suddenly those folks said, well, what was different this time? And what else do we think can be different now in the future, right? But let, let me give you a couple of quick hints on the difference between a true experimentation culture and a culture where it, people are doing experiments, but the actual mindset is not there. And we have a very systematic approach at GoDaddy. Every month, every experiment is shared with anyone in the company that wants to see it. And every experiment has to have an observation, a hypothesis, a test that they did, the results, what success criteria was. And you know, even if they spend 20 seconds flashing it up, that's great. It, it's awesome. But what you find is if somebody says, I love this product, we launched it, customers love it. And you look at the success criteria, you look at the observation, and it doesn't really align with the test. And you ask them, well, what was the observation or hypothesis here? And then it's not strong. And what you find there is that somebody wanted to launch that product or that capability or make that change. So they went ahead and did it. And then they wrapped it into an experiment framework to say, look, it was an experiment. Because if it was truly an experiment, then they would have an observation. And then they would say, what's the riskiest part of this? Oh, this thing. Well, let's first experiment that. Make sure that that isn't a blocker. Right? They wouldn't have gone and launched the whole thing. And then treat it like an experiment, right? So those are the types of things we are looking for. And I I did this in my previous job. There'll be teams presenting their stuff and then not to every person, but I'll stop one person and say, well, tell me about your success metrics. Why did you think, you know, making money was important here? Why not engagement for the customer? Like, should we be thinking about making money or should we be thinking about that the customer should have gotten more value? And then you see whether they spend the time to think that through or not. And very often, what's important isn't that people are, you know, there's always small percentage that try to game systems. But for the most part, people are trying to be thoughtful about creating value for customers. They just didn't. And then, you know, setting up this system that makes experimentation easy, clearly very important. I wonder if all of this is also driving towards empowering folks. Think to break it down into the hundred tiny pieces that you need to do and then test those tiny pieces and then bring it back together. Right. The what you're describing there of people trying something, it not working out, and then them just declaring it an experiment as if it's an escape hatch reminds me a lot of my six-year-old who, when he does something that he's not supposed to do, or he says something mean or whatever, and then we scold him for it, he then tells us that it was a joke. (laughs) As if he says, right, I didn't make a mistake. I was joking. You didn't understand that it was a joke. Is sort of describing something similar. So how do you go about beginning to build a actual structured system for experimentation? So the number one thing is transparency. 
You know, you have to make the work transparent. It's not about me holding people accountable. It is about creating a culture where just like code reviews are done, right? It used to be people wrote code and nobody touched anybody else's code. And, you know, you had your own code files. Nobody was allowed to touch them. Now, what do we do today? Software engineers, they put all the code into one repo. It's actually tons of code in the world in open source is available to everyone. People review it and all that. We do a similar thing, with, which we say, look, write your experiment, your hypothesis, and then peer review it. Then a peer take a look at it. But then we make those transparent across the whole company, right? So the core observation hypothesis, the test, the results. So starting with that transparency is really important. And then you want to win hearts and minds one by one. You want to work with the senior product leaders, the engineering leaders, help them understand why this is the way they should do things, that this is not what they do. This is how they get success. The what they do is create value for customers, create value for suppliers, create value for the company. But this is how they do it. And it takes a little bit of practice and time for people to get there. But once they start doing it, they love it because suddenly they can see the impact of their work. And the customer tells them whether their work was impactful or not. Once we get that mindset and culture going, then we want to move as quickly as possible to bring the tooling in place. Because if the tooling is too hard, Jason, no, even if people want to do it, they can't do it. If setting up an experiment is going to take me two days to code the experiment and one day to just set up the experiment, I'm just not going to want to do it. But if it's two days of coding the thing, and then it's maybe a few minutes or max 10, 20, 30 minutes, maybe an hour to set up the experiment properly. Yeah, that sounds like an effort I'm willing to make to get the measurement back that tells me whether this worked or not. And that's because you're anticipating that folks want to experiment. They want to come up with and explore new ideas, but they don't really want to spend a bunch of time doing something that may just end up in the garbage. Why is it that you need to be conscious of that time? Because measurement has a cost. And ultimately, we're all trying to optimize and be relatively efficient with what, what we're doing, right? We, we create something. We want to get it in front of customers. We want to see what happens. But if the measuring of it is super hard, then we feel like it might be better to just push many things out there and hope some of them work and some of them don't. I see. Right. So you want to take that cost of measurement significantly down. You know, so, for example, again, you asked me about GoDaddy, one of the things I instituted, you know, because people were doing different things, they all had their own ways of measurement. Well, today, GoDaddy has one way to measure that across the company. It doesn't matter if marketing wants to do an experiment, if one product team or another product. We have experiments in care. You know, these are our folks who pick up the phone. They're doing experiments with groups of people, you know, which is fantastic. They do experiments where they see someone drop off a call, abandon a call. They get that customer number, they call them back. And they say, hey, we noticed that you were on hold for a few minutes. Was there something that we could help you with? And they see whether that helps more customers than hurts customers. And just do be bring the mindset, but then providing people the tooling is really, really important. I keep thinking about your hippo problem. And a minute ago, you were talking about starting with senior leadership or senior managers and getting them on board, which I imagine is in some way a slight unwinding of a hippo problem in that people who are senior want to feel heard and experimentation might deliver results and ideas that go counter to what they believe, much lower than the hippos or hips, I suppose, to be heard, to be able to have ideas that are more easily tested and to have uh, you know a senior leadership that's more primed to receive and 
and possibly run the tests of these folks' ideas? In companies like ours, Jason, we're going into new spaces. For example, we're doing a lot of stuff in commerce. We're, we're excited about our launches. Lots of stuff has come in into GoDaddy this year. What we want the senior leaders to do is to create an environment where multiple people can try multiple things and figure out whether they work or not. We definitely don't want our leaders to be telling everyone what to do because what that does is it limits our our options of possibilities down to whatever that leader is capable of, right? So it's exactly what you talked about. Experimentation and having both the mindset and the tooling creates that democratic sort of situation in the company where a good idea can come from anywhere. Somebody has an idea, they can write the hypothesis. If they have a small team attached to them, they can test it. A huge number of tests in our company are now done even without engineering support because the tooling allows somebody to go in and try something small all by themselves, right? That is super empowering. And it's also very, very good for learning because ultimately what it does is we want our people to be the best them they can be. And the way to do that is to allow them to try their ideas and then learn from their ideas versus try to get them to want to be right all the time. Because culturally, in in a culture where you can think of a hippo culture or sort of <laughs> old school culture, people want to be right all the time. And the yeah, fact- people love being right. Yeah. It's the best. It's, it's the best thing. But in experimentation, at scale, for a company that's at scale doing thousands of tests, there are three possible outcomes. It's negative, it's neutral, it's positive. And guess what? At scale, it's going to be a third, a third, a third. When you go beyond that and you're pushing lots of new ideas and you're doing really innovative things, then your success rate is going to be lower than a third. But the learning is going to be phenomenal because all you're trying to do is reduce the neutrals and you don't mind the the negative or losing experiments because they're all telling you the shots and goal that you took that didn't work for now. So you can focus on the winners, you know? Right, right. right. It's that the ones that don't work out are the cost of doing business, but they're also telling you something. They're telling you a path not to go down. They're, they're crossing off one of the potential options, which helps you zero in on the better option. That's right. That's exactly right. Hey, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back with more of me and Amon. Every responsible employer, manager, and HR professional wants to create a supportive work culture where employees are empowered to reach their full potential. This also means being attuned to your employees' mental health needs. And that's why there's Ginger, a comprehensive mental health system for employees. Ginger is reinventing mental health care to provide immediate and on-demand personalized support for your employees. Here's how it works. Ginger brings immediate, high-quality mental health support right from a smartphone. With Ginger, members can connect with behavioral health coaches via text 24-7. Employees can get help with setting and working towards goals around anxiety, sleep, relationships, stress, and more. For more in-depth care, Ginger offers video therapy and psychiatry. Coaches, therapists, and psychiatrists work together to ensure that Ginger members get seamless care tailored to their lives. To learn more about how Ginger can support your employees' mental health, visit ginger.com slash problem solvers. That's ginger.com slash problem solvers. All right, we're back. Let me pick up where our conversation left off. Now that you're kind of walking me through the steps of building a a system of experimentation, one of the problems that you had identified in the earlier part of our conversation, where you're talking about how companies can kind of miss opportunities when they don't have this system is that different departments are doing things in different ways. And so they don't have a way to communicate with each other about their experiments and also a way to to evaluate from a company perspective whether or not what 
different people in different departments are doing can have you know synergy. So talk to me about how you're making sure that everybody across the board, no matter where they are, are able to experiment in the same way. Yeah, so let's take an example that I think many companies face, and this is something that I faced many, many years ago for the first time, but there are versions of it I, I see all the time. We all get traffic to our websites. Sometimes we buy that traffic, sometimes customers come directly to us, but the traffic that we buy to come to our website, the money spent on it is typically spent by our marketing departments. And it's nuanced and it's complicated, and there's a lot goes into what you pay for that. But when they buy that traffic, it lands on one of many landing pages on the site. And then there's typically a site team or a product team that's wanting to improve the experience there. If those two teams have at the core different goals that they're trying to achieve, then what you're going to find at the top is the marketing team is going to say, we bought the traffic, we brought it to the site, the site guys didn't convert it well. If you go talk to the site people, they'll say, well, we created a great funnel but the marketing guys bought low quality traffic. Right, right. Everybody who has ever stepped foot in an office is familiar with this. Is one team exactly. blaming the other? Exactly. And it will happen at the highest level. And what and what you will find is that they will they will be able to come forward and demonstrate. And you know, this is this is me going back 10 plus years now when I first started to be involved at the very senior levels in sort of e-commerce space. The two different teams will show with their data and metrics that they are right. And they are. Based on their own own metrics, they are. Based on their own metrics, they are. But when you connect them into the same experimentation framework, in the same methodology, then the marketing team is not going to tell you after one year or six months that they brought the traffic. They're going to say, well, we are going to change our creative or we are going to start bidding on these terms or we're going to land the traffic on this page when when we buy these terms. And we're going to be able to track because both teams are putting data into the same system. We're going to be able to track how those customers get on the site and convert and behave. And marketing has the same data now. The site and the product team has the same data. And the experiment doesn't say, I brought the traffic. The experiment says what the total end-to-end result was. That's how you join what we call joint forces at the company. That's how you bridge silos. That's how you use the experimentation mindset and the tooling to bring people together and say, hey, we're, we're in this together. It's not about your part or my part. It's our part. And we can see all of it together. So let's just sit down and come up with the best ideas together. If If you want to go by that traffic and people who are coming through that channel don't tend to convert, well, should we try to make them convert better? Like, are we putting the right thing in front of them? Maybe we're putting the wrong thing in front of them. And how can you help me understand that customer so that I put the right thing in front of them? And by the way, how do I help you to understand what it is that we're trying to bring to customers so that you find those customers and you know when you found them, right? Hopefully that's a good example. Obviously, you know, we can go final grain, lots and lots of examples in this space. But I feel that this is this basic thing People in most tech companies can understand and have seen. (laughs) They've seen it themselves. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you said examples, which is exactly where I wanted to drive it. I feel like we have built a machine here, and now I'd love to see the machine run. So can you walk me through a, a case study of experimentation at GoDaddy that has led to something that I suppose is live now? Yeah, a couple of examples that I can share, Jason. The first example is that for the longest time, almost a decade, GoDaddy has been in the aftermarket business for domains. This is the secondary market. People come buy and sell domains. And it's always been seen as something that domain investors do. 
these specialized people who want to figure out what is the best domain and buy and sell to each other. Well, we took that idea and we not only connected it to the primary market where you just go in and you're searching for something. So we took something that a domain investor owns and put it there. We actually made it work the other way. And what was the other way? We told the average consumer coming to GoDaddy with that are tiny businesses or individuals. And we said, look, you've owned this domain for a while. We think it could be worth something. If you do these couple of clicks, we will put it in the secondary market for you and try to sell it for you. And you don't have to learn the auction. You don't have to learn anything. Just a few simple screens. The team tried a few different things with the mindset of, hey, this is going to be an issue. This is going to be an issue. Let's see if customers want to do this. And then they became more and more confident as customers started to show interest in that feature. And then we came out with a big feature launch. And now, like over a million domains from average customers have been put into the secondary market and customers don't have to do anything magic. Hmm. Another example is obviously our number one priority as a company is, is commerce. And through an acquisition, brought a lot of new capability into the company, and we're attaching it to existing capability for GoDaddy. And our omni-commerce solution is about letting our customers, and our customers are everyday entrepreneurs, tiny, tiny, small businesses. Our customers can sell in their store, sell on major platforms, and sell in their online store all from one place. But we didn't just launch the omni-commerce solution. If you look back over the last nine months, we launched payments, we launched virtual terminal, we launched so many capabilities along the way. And along the way on each thing, we were able to track, did customers express interest in this? What was the feedback? Did it work? Let's try this, let's try it differently, let's put this here. Oh, customers didn't like it there, let's try to put it here. Oh no, this feature is not going to work. This is out of scope, we're not doing this, customers don't want it. And that allowed us to again, come in with a high amount of confidence that what we were bringing to market with a tremendous amount of effort was something that customers really would value. And so those are two things that we're super excited about. Those are great. Aman, let's end with this. If somebody's been listening to this conversation and then thinking to themselves, I'm a leader at a company, large or small, and I feel like I have a good culture of experimentation happening here, but I suppose I'm not sure if I've built exactly the best system for it. Where should they start poking? Where are the fault lines? Where might you advise somebody start to evaluate the strength of their system? First thing is transparency. Your whole company, everyone doing experimentation should put their experiments in one place. Then you should look at win rates. If win rates are very high, that means people are just doing what they want and they're finding a way to show winners because at scale, nobody's going to win <laughs> by any significant percentage. So, Tyranny of too many winners. Yeah, look at the neutrals. A lot of experiments will be neutrals. Too many neutrals means people didn't know what they were doing or they're doing things that are too small. Don't do things that are too small. Don't do things you can't measure. Start with it. You want a win plus loss rate. That means winner and losers. That is healthy. You want things published. You want people to have started with the customer and work back. What was the observation? What was the hypothesis? And you want people to try things again and again. If they try something and it doesn't work and they still keep pushing it all the time, that's not good. If they try something and never try it again, that's not good either. You want to see a healthy sort of tension for product leaders, for engineering leaders, marketing leaders to be pressing on things to say, why didn't it work? Is there a learning here? Can we do it better? And when that conversation starts and peer reviews start happening and people are telling each other that, hey, you tried this, I really liked it, but did you think of this? Now you know you're having the mindset and support them with the tooling, support them with the system, give them easy ways to be able to get to the information they're looking for. 
Perfect. Aman, thank you so much. This has been super enlightening and also just really practical, <laughs> which I think for something that can feel abstract and endless, like experimentation, I think is, is a really valuable thing is to just bring some great practicality to it. So thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Jason. It's great to talk to you. And that's our episode. I would love to hear what you think and maybe even about a problem that you solved. You can find me at my website, jasonpfeiffer.com. J-A-S-O-N-F-E-I-F-E-R.com. Also, I have some more useful stuff for you. I write a newsletter about how to future-proof yourself and become more adaptable and optimistic. I would love for you to sign up. It is at jasonpfeiffer.bulletin.com. Also, check out my other podcast. It's called Build for Tomorrow. In each episode, I take on some belief that we have that holds us back from progress and show you why it is not as bad as you think. Problem Solvers is a production of Entrepreneur Media and comes out every Monday morning, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Thanks to Deepa Shah for production. My name is Jason Pfeiffer. See you next week.